Hello, hello, gamers, geeks, and good people. Welcome to episode two of the Nintendo's Thoughts on I'm the Nintendo, aka Greg Hall. Uh, thank you so much for all the really incredible feedback from episode one. I cannot thank you enough. Gotten text messages and DMs and Facebook posts and tweets about it. So, like, I, I read them all. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. And quite frankly, the amount of people that just saw a new show on the feed and was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot was pretty insane to me. Thank you so much for all the people that listened. I expected half the listenership than what we got. So really, really cool. Um, Again, if you're new to the pod and it's only episode two of this new venture for me, a solo venture here in the We Podcast We Know Things feed, uh, this is the Nintendo's Thoughts On, where I, the Nintendo, Greg Hall, go through a ton of different gaming topics. I dedicate you know, each show to a new thing last week was my prediction slash crystal ball for Nintendo in 2021. I went through the hardware, the software, the rumors, the confirmed stuff, and what the big N could do for 2021. I wanted to make my first episode of the Nintendo about Nintendo. This week, I'm going a little bit more broad. I'm going to have a discussion around the game of the year, and I cannot wait to have it. But before I do, I just want to say, my wife is upstairs right now. She's baking Christmas cookies. I apologize in advance, A, that you can't eat them because they're fucking delicious. B, if you hear, uh, you know, KitchenAid mixer or some Christmas tunes or something lightly in the background, I do apologize for that. But who the hell am I to tell my amazing wife she can't bake some awesome cookies for my fat ass? Now, with that, let's not waste any more time. Uh, this conversation again, is going to be around game of the year, but not, I'm not going to give my game of the year for 2020, uh, in this episode. No, no, no. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to go back in time through the previous four years. Well, three, really 2020 kind of included. We'll end with that one with my game of the year picks. And if I would do anything different now in hindsight, now that I've made those picks, I have my top three for 2017, 18, 19, and I'm going to go through and I'm going to say, Hey, did I get it wrong? Or as time has passed, would I have made any changes? Did anything leap over? Now, my caveat is I can only work with the three games that were on my original list. I can't just throw a new one in there that, uh, you know, I would definitely do that for movies and TV shows because sometimes I watch those a little late, like Atypical. What a phenomenal show. I'd throw the season that came out in 17, in 17's list, and 18 and 18's and 19's and 19's. Now, with that said, for 2020, what I am going to do is I'm going to give you the nominees that will be on my list for my 2020 game of the year, where we do our top three. If you're unfamiliar with this, on We Podcast and We Know Things, every January, Sam and I list our top three albums of the year, movies of the year, TV shows of the year, and games of the year. We also list our top three least favorite things of the year. So that's like our favorite episode every year. Maybe for me, besides E3, I love doing our big blowout E3 predictions and stuff like that, especially when we have guests on like Chris Shriver and all that good stuff. So for this, I'm going to go over my nominees for my 2020 game of the year. I've played a bunch. I'm not going to go in incredible detail about every single one of them, but I will talk about the ones that I have played, what could make my list and what's still to come, quite frankly, and also what's disqualified from my list. My caveat is I had to have played it. So right off the top, Hades, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Doom Eternal, stuff like that, not going to be mentioned today because I did not and quite frankly will not play them before the year is up. I'm just being honest. I have uh, Ghost of Tsushima to finish. 
I have Star Wars Squadrons to finish. And then there's a couple upcoming games that I'm planning on playing. So I just don't have enough time to fit all of it in. But let's get started. We're four minutes in. And let's rewind time back to the good old days of 2017 when the Nintendo Switch came out March 3rd, 2017. I got mine March 10th, 2017. And two, uh, actually three, all three games that year for me were Nintendo Switch exclusives. I believe my number three did not come to any other consoles. With that being said, the Xbox uh, One and PS4, I had both of those in 2017 so all those nominees would have counted just nothing hit for me as hard as these three games my number three was golf story a little indie title a little golf rpg and you might ask yourself what in the hell no 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 my friends it is not a typical rpg it is hilarious it is a 2d art style where you are playing as a golfer who has to go to these different courses hijinks and shenanigans ensue and you become the best player in the We'll call it region. But oh my God, it took me 20 something hours to beat. I believe 21 was my final playtime. Hilarious, phenomenal, completely replayable. And you get to play some badass rounds of golf on legitimately good 2D courses throughout your journey. It's really, really good. My number two, Mario Odyssey, which I think a lot of people would thought would have been my number one. And it came out in October. So I didn't have as much time with it as a golf story or my number one. So I had to make a quick decision on it. I mean, I had beaten it by the time the year was up, but I really had to think to myself, is that, is this enough to be my game of the year? I got about 500 something moons in the game by the time the year was up and I had made my decision. And my number one that year was Breath of the Wild. Uh, And for a long time, it was not on my list. And I actually kind of cheated. Um... So we did the show in early January, you know, the first like two weeks of January, we did our games of the year for, for 2017, January of 2018. What that did was that afforded me a couple weeks to beat this game. Uh, and I tell you, I never would have, it probably wouldn't have made my list if I didn't get the flu and I got the flu. I was bedridden for five days, uh, including new year's Eve. That was a fun year. Um, where I literally was in bed at seven o'clock on New Year's Eve and didn't move for five days. Um, And I actually just took my switch, put it in handheld mode and decided to finally stretch, like go through the biggest, most anxiety ridden game I had ever played that time. The game that was too big for me to even start because I was just so overwhelmed. And I said, I'm in bed for all this time. What else am I going to do? My wife was at work. We did not have a kid at the time. And so I just was home, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't drink, couldn't barely move. So I just played my switch in handheld mode for 75 hours and I got through it and I beat breath of the wild. And at that time I said to myself, this is it. This is not only my game of the year. That was the arguably the greatest experience I ever had playing a video game outside of Bioshock. And for a little bit there, breath of the wild kind of took over as my favorite game ever. But I think a little bit of that was recency bias And a little bit of that was like Arlo's three-hour review on it. I couldn't get enough. I was watching other people's first playthroughs because the wonder that I had felt, that sense of awe when you get to go to anywhere you want in the entire map, including beating it right away, was just crazy. And there's nothing like watching somebody playing that game for the very first time to get their reactions of all the cool stuff they can do, like Pro Jared and Grand Pooh Bear and even Donkey. Their first reactions and videos about that game 
and Arlo, like I said, that blow blew me away and made that even greater of an experience for me. So for a while, I said, this is my favorite game ever. Time being what it is and doing what it does has reverted to Bioshock retaking that number one spot. And a quick playthrough of that on the Switch really drove that home for me. I just love Bioshock so much. Um, but regardless, Breath of the Wild is still my number two of all time. So that's not going to change my order. I'm sticking with it. Golf Story is still phenomenal, but not enough to overtake Odyssey. Odyssey was my game of the year until I got sick and beat Breath of the Wild in very early January and gave myself the opportunity to put that on my list. I don't even know what number three would have been uh, if it if Breath of the Wild didn't get beaten. I cannot remember what else came out in 17. Was it Uncharted 4 or was that 16? It might have been 16 for Uncharted 4 because I feel like that would have been at or near the top of my list. I know Horizon had come out that year right around the same time as Zelda. I didn't play that until 18 and I didn't love it at all. Quite frankly, I didn't even finish it. I got rid of it pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, I'm sticking with my order. I'm sticking with my list for 2017, 2018. My number three came out in December and I had a baby. Uh, I don't know, like three days later, something like that, like less than a week. I think after this game came out, uh, I had a baby, so um, I had time to play it because I didn't have a kid when it first came out, but then I played it in the hospital a lot because we were in the hospital for five days, so I had a lot of time with it, and even though I only had the game in my possession for less than a month, Smash Ultimate did enough to garner my number three spot. It lost its staying power for me. Um, I bought the first DLC pack and I loved a lot of the fighters in it. Banjo, all that. I got the Piranha Plant for free. All that cool stuff. Um, you know, I haven't bought Fighters Pass 2. I love Terry, by the way. All that. Biolith does nothing. It's kind of what got me out of buying Fighters Pass 2 and especially because we're only a couple characters into that now and it's 2021, basically. So three years later. Um, I, I actually recently picked it up like I'm talking two weeks, three weeks ago and played a couple of online matches and I won my first one. And it's like the first online smash match I've ever won. Now, granted, they're probably around my skill level, which I would say is a intermediate at best, just a little bit better than a novice. I play when the, the control or when the computer's on eight, that's the skill level I use. I don't go ratchet it up all the way to 10. Um, and it's hard. It's hard at eight. It's very, very hard at eight. I don't win all of them. Um, but I decided to jump back in and with the characters that I had, which is everybody through the end of fighters pass one. And it was a really good time. I loved it. I picked right back up with King K rule as my main. Um, it was just super, super fun, especially with, with all the additional characters that I just could play around with. And I always, I made the DLC fighters, basically all my opponents, um, trying to get as much intel on them as possible to to really give it a sh and and looking back on it yeah it's what it is it's another smash game it had spirit mode which i thought brought a lot to a single player experience which i think pushed it over the edge but the real big two that year were god of war and spider-man and i still get a bunch of shit for picking spider-man spider-man was my number one and god of war was my number two i truly feel like if if there's an argument to be made for this year's list, it is not from three and two. It is between number two and number one. I think on any day, any given day, I could say that God of War is my number one and Spider-Man is my number two. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I have more of an itch to go back and play God of War again than I do the original Spider-Man. 
Now, maybe part of that is because of Miles Morales and anticipating that is coming and getting to, I mean, I beat it last week. So eventually playing and beating it, I knew that there was something in store for me. So maybe that's why I had a little bit more of an itch to go back and play God of War 2. And this was before even the announcement of Ragnarok. We know that's coming. I don't even think it's coming next year. That's for another episode. But is that the type of game that could overtake Spider-Man? And here is why I went with Spider-Man and why I'm sticking with Spider-Man. I never once fast traveled. I've made that very clear on the podcast, on the We Podcast Show. I have, I, I have so much fun just swinging around the city. And it is the one game where outside of the YouTube stuff, even though I did it, I did every single side mission in that entire game. I bought all the DLC, all of it, did it, loved it, went through it, loved the story, loved Doc Ock. First of all, my favorite Spider-Man villain ever. So that has something to do with it. The suits were amazing. I have to play as the Spider-Man comic book suit, which is still my favorite suit of all, both, I should say, the the big Spider-Man games on these gen of consoles. So like when I look back at the time I had, I put a little bit more time into Spider-Man than I did in God of War to beat the main story because I just took my time, my sweet old time, just swinging around the city, going from place to place. It never got old, never got tired. In my experience, I just had a little bit more fun. The story, I'd give it to God of War. I didn't see that twist coming at the end, set up an amazing sequel that I cannot wait for. I'm actually probably more hyped for Ragnarok than I am for the eventual Spider-Man 2, but I think a little bit of that is because we just got Miles Morales. And with the Miles Morales combat being as good as it is, how the hell am I supposed to go back to Spider-Man 2 now? With the Venom powers and like Sam had mentioned, the invisibility, the stuff you don't get in the original Spider-Man game, now I have to go back to Peter Parker. That could be even more difficult. Plus, I already got my Doc Ock game. And he's my favorite villain. Am I going to go back to Green Goblin? Like, we got multiple movies of that. I I just don't know if I need to really go back to that. So, and God of War doesn't have a movie tie-in. doesn't have a TV show tie-in. It's not something else. Like, there's not a a God of War universe or world. Like, there are Spider-Man films upon Spider-Man films upon Spider-Man films. It's just a bigger overall franchise. So, for me, it got the nod. God of War, looking more forward to the sequel. Cannot wait. Ragnarok. If Ragnarok came out the same year as Spider-Man 2, I'd probably give it to Ragnarok this time around. Uh, But looking back on it, I stick with my choice. As crazy as it sounds, I'm sticking with it. 2019. This was the year that I had a number one, and the other ones just didn't matter to me as much. Uh, My number three was Luigi's Mansion 3. My number two was Jedi Fallen Order, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And number one was Pokemon Sword and Shield. Number one, I don't even have to get into it. It's going to stay. Sword and Shield has cemented itself as one of my favorite three Pokemon games of all time. I just love it so, so much. And the metagame still has me playing it to this day. Uh, And the DLC and all the additions to that that game, I still play it. Matter of fact, I just played it yesterday trying to get a shiny squill, but it didn't work out. But Jedi Fallen Order, I haven't played since that episode. I haven't touched it since January of 2020 and I have no urge to do it. I have no urge to go back and beat it. None whatsoever. So I feel like not only would that game slip to number three behind Luigi's mansion, I feel like it would leave my list entirely. Now, part of my caveat is I can't add new games to the list. So I'm going to just say I would switch Luigi's mansion and fall and fall in order. I will say this though. 
if there was any year where I would actually replace these two games, I would. It's not a part of my rules, so I can't say what games I would, but just know that there are two games out there that in hindsight, and also I finally got to play them this year in 2020, that I would actually go back and completely rework my number three and my number two slot for 2019. Number one, it obviously stands. Um, Now, if, if I had to order these nine games in total, these nine game of the year nominees for the last three years, uh, I'd probably go Jedi Fallen Order, number nine, eight Luigi's Mansion, um, seven Smash Ultimate, six Golf Story, five God of War, four Spider-Man, three Odyssey, two Sword and Shield, one Breath of the Wild. That's how I would order my top nine Games of the year over the past three years. That's my list, and I'm sticking to it. But for the second half of the show, let's talk about the new stuff. 2020, baby. My nominees for Game of the Year. I'm just going to go through my list. Some I'll talk about for a little bit. Some I won't. Number one. Again, caveat is I had to have played them. What you're going to find is a lot of these games, I just played. So I'm really going to go through the list of like the ones that stuck out to me, and then I'll kind of narrow it down from there. Animal Crossing New Horizons. Never played a game as much when it first came out than I did that game. Never thought about a game as much on a Nintendo platform that when I wasn't playing it, that's what I wanted to go do. Matter of fact, uh, I dedicated so much time. I dedicated over 70 hours to it in just under a mu- uh, in just a few weeks, I think, two weeks. I played that game like crazy when it first came out. I stopped playing it in April and I've yet to go back. Matter of fact, I bought my wife a switch light for our anniversary and said, you can have my game. I don't want it anymore. So you, I signed her in under my profile. I said, you delete my Island. You start anew, and you can play animal crossing to your heart's content. And I won't miss it. Even though I put 70 hours of work into that Island and it was looking pretty damn good, by the way, it just was not a game that had staying power. Now, 20, 5 million people that bought it. Other people that bought it will disagree with me. And it's even up for a Game of the Year nomination at the Game Awards. But it will not. I would imagine it's not going to be in consideration uh, at the end of the year. Twin Breaker, a Sacred Symbols adventure. I love Breaker games. This was a, first and foremost, a revival for for the genre. It's Colin Moriarty's game. I'm always a supporter of anything Colin does. Um... But that's not to take any bias into this game. I just love the breaking genre, the brick breaker. And this, you give me a brick breaker on steroids, I'm in. Twin breaker. You have two, count them two, uh, I guess, platforms at the bottom of the screen at all times. And you're doing it at the same, like you have to go back and forth with two of them. And your controls are in sync with the other one. uh, The left control stick controls the one breaker. The other controls the other, the right stick. So your mind has to kind of be working in sync all the time. And then they switch it up and they go up and down as opposed to left and right. And then they switch it up even more and they give you four breakers on the screen and you got to go left and right and up and down. And they only keep the two triggers as the things that control them. It was a mind fuck 40 levels of fuckery. And I beat it in one sitting and I don't know how, and it was so good. It was a 9.75. That's what I rated on the podcast. And it is so unbelievably good. 
I have a feeling, though, recency bias being what it is, it's not a very recent game. It came out pre-pandemic um, or just before it. Uh, it recently came to Switch, and we got the opportunity to review it there. It's a strong contender. It is a nominee. It's on there. I loved it. I just maybe beating it in one sitting, that's the part of that that I'm like, okay, I got to give it some thought. Streets of Rage 4. Looking forward to this game for 26 years, and I'm so happy to report it did not disappoint. This game is phenomenal from top to bottom. I beat it in about three hours. I beat the game, like, what, 11 times? I unlocked every single character, beat it with every single character, all the secret characters from the old games, all the old Streets of Rage games that, that come back in this, and you can actually play them in their old art styles. I love that, and I love the new hand-drawn art style. They did such a good job, .emu, they they just crushed it, and I fucking love this game. It, again, just like Twin Breaker brought back the Brick Breaker, this brought back the beat-em-up for me. I loved every single second. Next game I played was The Last of Us Part Two. This game gets a lot of shit from a lot of people. It's, you hear her hammering away at whatever the hell she's hammering away at. Um, this game gets a lot of shit from a lot of people, but it's also loved by a lot of people, and I fall into the camp of I absolutely loved this game the last of us part two crushed me while simultaneously sicking sickeningly gave me hope while at the same time subverted my expectations enough to throw me for a loop that i hated for the first three hours but grew to love and anybody who plays that game or played that game knows exactly what loop i'm talking about about halfway through the game and so all of those things in consideration this game absolutely rocked. I don't want to hear it didn't do anything new. What are you talking about? It is like the most depressing game I've ever played, but it's not too much for me. It gave me such an immersive... I, I, I was immersed into this world. I wanted to know everything about every character, every side story, every note that I found I wanted to read... I wanted to connect with, I wanted to know more about the people of this world and the hardships and trials and tribulations they went to and even the moments and glimmers of hope. This world is everything I've ever wanted to explore in a fictional universe to the point where I've watched five-hour YouTube essays on this game. The positives, the negatives. I watched a three-hour thing where it just shat all over it for three hours and I'm sitting there disagreeing but wide open to that person's thoughts and feelings to see if there was maybe somewhere in the middle we could meet or maybe hey I was just over praising it and maybe there are things about this game that are in the negative side but for me this game is a 10 out of 10 I loved everything about it and I absolutely recommend it you gotta play the first one first there's no doubt about it but I cannot wait cannot wait for this HBO series Super Mega Baseball 3. And you're asking yourself, a sports game? Crazy. Why is that a nominee for Game of the Year? I put 145 hours into this game. <laughs> it's insane. It's sickening. But I did it. And I loved every single second of it. It's a baseball game where I don't have to worry about rosters and teams. And like, oh, this guy's, you know, the Phillies, you know, Jake Arrieta's contract is up. No. This game is completely fictional characters, completely fictional teams that, by the way, I have full autonomy over making the logo, the team name, all of it. Completely fictional stadiums. There's not a lot of teams to choose from. I think like, a, you know, um, like 20. So I think there's like 20 teams, something like that. 
all completely fictional and they're like buffed over character, like over, you know, overdone meaty guys and gal. I just, I loved it. I loved everything about the names hack liner and, uh, Rhonda third. (laughs) She's awesome. I just loved it. The saw teeth, the wild pigs, which I then renamed the ice caps and made a polar, like a nasty gold and purple polar bear. So sick. Uh, no, no, I did that one blue and gold, like my uh, like my alum LaSalle. I love that color combo. Regardless, the wild pigs I made, yellow and purple, because I like that combination of colors as well. It, it was so much fun, and the mechanics were great. It was a very tight baseball game, 32-game season. I played the season five times. The problem with that game was even though there are 100 difficulty levels, and I had it on 80 at one point, super difficult, I lost three games at most in a single season and I never lost a playoff game. So it just kind of got repetitive. I love the roster turnover. People can just leave at any time. You don't sign them to multi-year contracts. You just sign them onto your team. They have to fit under the salary cap, which I also like that there's a salary cap in baseball, but they can just leave. I can invest 22 million into a pitcher and he's gone the next season. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Thrash Allmeyer. You're just, you're just not there anymore. So you constantly have to rebuild your roster in a in a salary cap constraint, which isn't always like that in baseball. There is no salary cap in baseball. So <clears throat> there was that. Uh, and on top of that, I get so attached to a player and then they're just gone. And then I got to go re-sign them for triple the amount when they hit the free agent market. It was just unique. I loved every second about it. Uh, that I and, and you know what? For a sports game, it ruled. Uh, another sports game I loved was Tony Hawk 1 Plus 2 Remastered. I loved while I played it. The problem was I just stopped after a while because I went into that game thinking it was going to be like the old games where you have to beat it with everybody to unlock their video and I get to go through it and that replayability was there. But what they decided to do was once you beat a tour with somebody, that was it. And then if you wanted Bob Burnquist tape, all you have to do is go through each level and get the stat points and that's it. And then you unlock his tape. And it was like, what's my incentive to do that? You only have vert street and all around. And the stat tapes or stat points are this in the same locations for each of those three types of skaters. So I could just go through as every street guy. And every time those stat points were in the same place, it just became a a grind at that point unnecessarily. What they did was they released a patch that reverted it back to the old way. I don't want to do 750 challenges. That's pointless to me. That's not a fun way. That's filler. Now go, don't get me wrong. Beating it with everybody is filler too, but at least I get that experience of beating the game with 20 something different characters that all have different specials, that different looks, that do have different, you know, play styles. Now the thing with stat points is everybody can just become un, you know, the best at all the different stats pretty quickly into that game. And so they all eventually start to skate similarly, but the point is that that wasn't there out of the box and that destroyed that game's replayability for me. I wanted to beat it 20 times mindlessly with everybody. And I didn't get that opportunity until uh, two months after it came out, a free update while I was way past it by then. So that was a tough one for me. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2, one of the best indie games I played this year. A Castlevania 3, you know, clone, uh, a very, very worthy successor to to the original. I loved it. I cannot, if you like Castlevania games, I cannot recommend it enough. It's phenomenal. Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time. I enjoyed the shit out of that too. It got very hard at the end. Those last two worlds were ridiculously difficult, especially the city. 
and Neocortex is Castle, of course. But the boss battles to me were kind of easy, all of them. And that kind of took it away from me a little bit. I didn't care about the story as much as others. I liked three of the four masks. I didn't love the fourth. And I have zero interest in ever replaying it again to 100% it, to go back and get every box, to go back and get every gem, to get all the collectibles. I beat it. I'm done. I'm good. And I don't really see myself going back. Paper Mario, the Origami King, the first Paper Mario game I ever beat. And that's a big deal for me. And that was a big investment of time. I put 31 hours into that title and beating it for the first time ever. And some people hated it because it wasn't like the old RPGs. I didn't know the old ones. So there was no nostalgia factor for me. There was no nothing to compare it to. I just knew that Color Splash and Sticker Star weren't the highest received games or the best, you know, the most well received. And I knew that a lot of people were split on this one. I thought the world was gorgeous. I thought the mechanic was gorgeous of the, the origami and the confetti. I thought the characters were fun. I thought the game was hilarious. I loved the boss battles. I loved the turnstile kind of RPG battle system it had, the literal turn-based RPG, the puzzle aspect to that, the calling on the toads for help. Again, those boss battles were very difficult and a lot of fun, and a lot of different people play them a lot of different ways. This isn't a game where this is how you beat the boss, and you can do it every time. You kind of get a different, everybody's going to play it a little differently, and you have a lot of different options on how to beat the boss. That was great. Total package of fun, something I didn't expect to love. I'm glad I bought it on launch day, and I'm glad I stayed until the end because it had a really good, fun, lighthearted story with a little bit of a dark turn in there. I just thought it was really, really fun. Skater XL, a game that uh, I still play to this day, even though there are no missions, there are very few challenges, there's not a career mode or anything like that. It's a skateboarding simulator where when you want to go out and skate and it's rainy or it's too cold, this is the game you play. Your right stick controls your right foot. Your left stick controls your left foot. And it is, you would play it as if you were skating. The motions you do with your feet on a skateboard is how you do tricks and grinds and slides in the game. The only problem I have with the game, really, besides, I mean, like, it's pretty wonky and there are some weird glitches. That shit doesn't bother me because when it plays well, it plays incredibly well. So uh, the, the limited number of maps, there's only eight out of the box. And to this day, there's still only eight. And that's a problem because I've put 100 hours in this game and I'm playing the same eight maps. I'm just at this point stretching to get creative with what I've skated. I've already literally skated every centimeter of every map in this game outside of the California skate park because everything there is way too low and it's just too easy. Um, But I continue. The, The school in that is better than any Tony Hawk school level. It's the greatest skate level I've ever played in any game. Easy Day did an amazing job with Easy Day High. It's the best, probably the best skate level I've ever played outside of me being biased, Philadelphia. Now, with Skater XL, they are releasing a free update to give us three more maps and community mods. So it tells me they are still supporting the game. We are going to get more. And we're getting Appleyard Park. Uh, which was the one map I wanted to play from the PC world. I'm so glad we're going to be able to play it. It's enormous. These three maps are all huge. So they're going to give me they're going to give me hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours more of entertainment. And it's coming this holiday. So we'll factor in to my decision. To me, Skater XL is the best skating game I've ever played. Miles Morales. We just went on an entire spoiler free rant of Miles Morales last week. So go check out my impressions for that. 
if you want to check that out on the We Podcast, We Know Things main show. As a matter of fact, um, it's in the title of the episode, so you'll know which one it is. I believe it's episode 212 where we go into our spoiler-free thoughts there. Fun but short. Love the combat. The glitches were a little bit... Um, the bugs and the glitches were a little bit... Uh, took me out of the immersion a little bit. I didn't like the story as much as the main series game. Like I said, the combat just shined. It's just another great Spider-Man game in the vein of 2018 Spider-Man from Insomniac. They did another great job. Can't recommend it enough. Didn't enjoy it as much as the first main game. Obviously, it's a side game in, in the uh, the Lost Legacy style game. So I get that. Um, but really solid. Uh, another wonderful effort from, from Insomniac. And just more PS4 Spider-Man. You can never go wrong. Uh, love the suits in this one too. Great, great shout out to BLM. I loved it all. Um, so Miles Morales, definite contender there. I'm currently playing through these two titles, Ghost of Tsushima and Star Wars Squadrons. Matter of fact, Star Wars Squadrons was just my pick of the week on episode 213. And Ghost of Tsushima, Sam and I did a spoiler-free rant on our early impressions with that game. So both of these games, way too early for me to tell if they're going to end up as actual nominees, as contenders for that top three spot, but both trending in the right direction. I love the combat, love the story, and love the look of Ghost of Tsushima, and I love the way Squadrons plays. Uh, a, a flight sim combat space shooter uh, where I'm in the cockpit with the greatest graphics. You know, oh God, just what a wonderful experience Squadrons has been. Cyberpunk still to come. Immortals Phoenix Rising also still to come. Something I think could be a dark horse contender here because it's a very, very Ubisoft Breath of the Wild style game in Greek mythology. Holy shit, sign me up. The problem is... I'm probably not getting to that this year, and I'm probably not getting to it by early January where it will have a chance to be on my top three. I don't foresee a a world where I get this game at launch. I foresee me waiting to get this one until it's on sale for 20 bucks down the line um, before I pick it up, but I have a very strong feeling that it's going to be in the hunt. So while I'm not going to disqualify it, I'm going to put a caveat on it and say, I have a really strong feeling it would be a strong contender for my top three, but because I just don't foresee myself playing it in time, it's probably not going to make the list. And these last three things here are disqualified. Number one, Pokemon's DLC, the Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra. They are not standalone games. They are DLC expansions for a game that came out last year. Therefore, as much as I love them and think it's the single greatest piece of Nintendo DLC I've ever played, I in good conscience cannot count them. Although, they surely would make my list, at least at number three, if I did. Uh, number two, I'm discounting Super Mario Bros. 35. I play the shit out of it. I love it way, much, way, way more than I should. But it's just a battle royale of a 35-year-old game, 36. And, uh, well, no, 35, 35. And I'm just, I just can't bring myself to say, even though it's a fresh coat of paint on a 35-year-old thing, and it's a new style, a new way to play it. I just can't see myself to say it's a new enough game for it to count. It's a really cool spin-off thing that if I was doing top three spin-off things, it'd probably be my number one. Unless you count the Pokemon DLC, of course. Uh, and so that is why I just cannot, cannot qualify it under these parameters for Game of the Year. And my last is Super Mario 3D All-Stars. It's just flat out not a new game. It's three ports of three old Nintendo titles smashed into one package 
and I, in good conscience, just cannot include it. Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, Super Mario Galaxy, all playable on the same cartridge. As great as that sounds, that's not a brand new game, nor is that the game of my uh, of the year for me for 2020. It just can't be. So that's my thoughts. That's the Nintendo's thoughts on Game of the Year. Um, it's one of my favorite episodes to do. I love uh, talking about Games of the Year. I love playing games. I love keeping track of the games I play throughout the year and constantly shifting them and sending out tweets in June with updates. And I just love doing that. By the way, at the Nintendo uh, on Twitter. Check me out. Give me a follow. Let's talk games. But, uh, you know, as much as I love movies and TV, gaming just, it just consumes me. Uh, and I cannot wait to share my top three games of the year for 2020. That'll be sometime in January, early January, on We Podcast So We Know Things with my good buddy Sam. And I also can't wait to hear his list, which, by the way, I think will be number three, Ghost of Tsushima. Or Miles Morales. I don't think he's going to do Devil May Cry 5 special edition because I don't think that should count. That was 2019. That was his game of the year last year. Um, I think number two will be uh, The Last of Us. Oh, no. Ooh. Final Fantasy VII Remake. And then that might be his number one. And The Last of Us Part Two will be up there. So... He's really going to be down to these four. I think it'd be Ghost of Tsushima, Miles Morales, The Last of Us Part Two, and Final Fantasy VII Remake. I think that's where it'll be some combination of, of those three. If I had to guess, I would say uh, uh, Tsushima, Morales, Final Fantasy. That's my guess. And he won't hear this in time for that episode, so I think I'm safe on that. But everybody, thank you so much for hanging out for the Nintendo's thoughts on Game of the Year 2020. And in the past, I don't know, but let's get to that awesome theme music. See you next time in two weeks. Bye-bye, everybody. Yeah,